Hi, I'm Josh Shearer and I serve as the lead pastor here at Gawley Uniting Church. I wanted to personally thank you for joining us today. We exist as a church to see lives transformed with the good news of Jesus. Now, I hope this service inspires you. I hope it blesses you. I hope it builds your faith and I hope it gives you perspective that God is moving in your life. If there is anything that we can do to help you, don't be afraid to reach out on social media or email our office. Thanks for joining us again and let's get to the service. So the passage for this morning come from Luke's Gospel. Chapter 24, starting in verse 36, going right through to the end of Luke's Gospel. So I wanted to read it for you in its entirety first and then explore a couple of things that we find really interesting and challenging as we explore the text today. So while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and he said, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost that doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see that I have before you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have something to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and he ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophet, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the Scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead and on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay, stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led, or when he had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we begin the message this morning, would you pray with me? Loving and gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that it speaks into our heart and into our lives. We pray you open our hearts and minds to receive what you have for us this morning. We pray that you would give us the wisdom and courage to apply it to our lives in the ways that you challenge us. May it be a comfort and a source of encouragement to us in our journey of faith. And as we approach your word and as we explore it, may we pray as you taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, 
and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Amen. So when it comes to your faith as a follower of Jesus, I wonder what is that faith built upon? What is it built upon, I wonder? And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you've been trying to figure out how to begin a faith or how to begin a faith journey, I wonder if I would ask you the question, how would you begin that journey? What would your response be? How would you, how would you start to build a faith? Or if you have a faith, then what would that faith be built upon? Because that's exactly what I want to talk about today. That's the question that I want to answer as we continue our series called Belong, Believe, and Behave. If you miss any of the messages that I have preached so far last week and the week before, then you can pick them up in our, uh, on our podcast or you can watch them back online. Particularly if you're joining us online, you can look at the others in the series just to, to get a, a sense of where we have gone so far. In this series called Belong, Believe, and Behave, we're flipping the script on what our understanding of, en- of engaging in the Christian faith actually looks like. Many of us grew up with a framework, and, and I know from raised hands over the last couple of weeks, this might be familiar to you. We grew up with a framework that when we behave the right ways in a church community, and when we believe the right things and sign up to the membership course and finish all of that, then we can discover a place to truly belong. You get given your name tag and your, all that stuff, and, and you get to vote at meetings and all of those sorts of things. And so that's most, for most of us, that's our experience of the progression of, the Christian, of engaging with Christian community. We first, we behave the right ways, wear the right clothes, attend at the right times. Then we believe the right things. And then we feel a sense of belonging sometime after that. But in this series, what we're doing is we're flipping that understanding. We're saying, that, no, 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 the, the rhythm and life of Jesus and what Jesus actually says about this and how Jesus behaved, it's actually the other way around. We are called to belong first through the invitation of the gospel, through what Jesus achieved on the cross, and then we are called to growth in belief. And then once we have believed, there's a transformation that happens in our lives over time. And for all of us, it actually takes our whole life. We never quite get there to becoming more and more like Jesus. But it's through our belief that we begin to transform our lives and behave in the ways that honor God in our life. Is this starting to sound familiar? Belong, believe, behave. And so if you're new to our community, if you're joining us online for the first time, I'm so glad that you're here because I think this series gives us a real snapshot into who we are as a church, into our heart as a community, and what and ultimately gives you a sense of just how much we want to make sure you are welcomed here and that you can find a place to belong. Whether you're joining us in person or whether you join us on live, we are glad that you're here and we want, to know, want you to know that you belong. So the first week of the series, Jesus issued an invitation to us through his death on the cross that we are invited into relationship. That's the beginning of our belonging. And last week I explored one of the challenges to belief, and that is doubts. 
And we all have them. I have them, you have them, and in fact, if you're here and you don't have them, I want to know the secret to your, the intensity and the tenacity of your faith because for all of us, doubts are actually just a part of life, and, but we don't need to be afraid of them. We're actually called to embrace them. And what I shared last week was that when we doubt out loud, if, that, if you remember, that sounds familiar, if we doubt out loud instead of just holding them in our heart, Instead of eroding our faith, those doubts strengthen our community as we journey with them together and as we ultimately show and share that we are a safe place for people to bring their doubts. By doubting out loud, we give others permission to doubt and show that we are a place that people can belong before they ever believe the right things. And so as we continue our journey this week, I want to talk about building belief. Over the last few months, some of you would know, uh, or some of you might not know, so I live in a house, which is a good thing, but that house is the manse, we call it, and it's the the house that the church owns that I live in as a minister and placement in a regional uh, town here, and so what we've been doing is I got tired of mowing weeds out the front of the manse house, because that's all I seem to be able to grow out there. There was no lawn, or I call it a 40-foot lawn. Do you know what a 40-foot lawn is? You mow it flat, step back 40 feet, look at it, and it looks great. Anyone got a lawn like that at home? No, no, you guys are way better at that than me. But in any case, I got sick and tired of it. I've been here nearly four years, I got sick and tired of mowing weeds, and so I decided to, to landscape the front yard. Eloise and I decided, we planned it out and whatever. And so that's been a project that I have been working on since... Before, just before Christmas, the week before Christmas, we got the landscape cut. A friend of mine came in, cut all of the grass out, re- reset the whole front yard, and I've been building and working my way through that over the last few months. And I've got to tell you, I'm ahead of schedule. Just got to put that out there. I'm ahead of schedule because I'll, well, I'm ahead of someone's schedule. I originally said, I'm ahead of Eloise's schedule because I, I originally said, this is a digression, but it's fun anyway. Um, I said, oh, it should take about three months to get it finished. That was four months ago. Um, but Eloise said, well, I bet you, you will, you'll get it done in 12 months. And so I've got to tell you, I'm ahead of that schedule, which is a bonus. So Eloise has always been way more realistic about timelines around this sort of thing than I have, but that's life. But by far the biggest job that has been a part of this project so far has been the retaining walls. It's such a steep front yard, which is why the grass never grew. It's such a steep front yard, terrible drainage, all of that, that we we thought, no, we have to terrace it in some ways to hold back the dirt, to sort of level things out. Um, And so that's what we've done. And so we did some concrete retaining walls, so concrete sleepers and some I-beams. And if you know anything about um, uh, putting in retaining walls, the extraordinary blessing of it is that you need to dig as far down into the ground as you want to have the retaining wall high out of the ground. And the reason that you do that is because you need to make sure that the wall has a firm foundation. Because if it doesn't, when you you put all the dirt behind it and when the dirt gets wet and it's holding back water as well, if the foundations of the wall aren't strong, then when all the dirt and all the pressure and everything that comes up behind that wall is, is piles up over time and in winter it gets even stronger and all of that, if that foundation isn't dug properly, 
if it isn't strong enough, then ultimately the wall falls over. And we see that actually absolutely everywhere in our town. A lot of the heritage walls that we see around the place, the boundary, the heritage buildings, they're, they're built of field stone and they are falling over. I mean, they've lasted, some of them lasted 150 years. That's pretty good. But I like to think my wall will last longer than that because of the foundations that I dug beneath it. Through about 10 inches of limestone, by the way. My back will tell you about that, but that's life. What's my point? Foundations matter. Foundations matter. Because they help us weather the pressures that come behind us at different times in our life. And so for us, our faith is no different. The foundations of our faith matter. Someone might have told you once, what do I need to do to become a Christian? What do I need to do to get to know God? And for some of us, when we were becoming, when we entered the faith, basically, became a follower of Jesus, the answer was just believe in Jesus. And you can be a Christian, and that's all sweet, and then just come to church, figure the rest out later on. And in some sense, that's kind of right, because that is all that's required to become a follower of Jesus, is to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is who He says He was, and that He did what He said He would do by giving His life on the cross for us to forgive our sins so we can be in relationship with God. So in some sense, that is right. The good news is that simple. But the challenge is that if we, ever, if we only just leave that as the core element of our faith. Just believe in Jesus and everything will be fine. The challenge becomes when we encounter life in its reality, is our foundation strong enough to deal with, to hold back the pressures of the world around us? I want to suggest to you that for many of us, it's not. It's not strong enough if all we've got is just that core belief that Jesus is who he says he is and did what he said he would do. We actually need more than that. Not more than that to be in relationship with God, but more than that to weather the world that we are a part of every single day. And so in our journey of faith, I believe, and what I want to talk about this morning is that we have the ability to strengthen our faith. What our text actually talks about, what Jesus talks about with the disciples is the ability to build a stronger foundation for our faith every single day so that we might weather the challenges that come to us. So in the passage, this is after Jesus' crucifixion and burial. Some of Jesus' disciples went to the tomb where he was laid and discovered he wasn't there. Surprise! And God had done the impossible. He raised him to life. And, and Jesus began to appear to his disciples, first to Mary at the tomb, then to some of the other disciples. Last week we explored John's account of Jesus appearing to the disciples in the upper room. And this week we explore what Luke wrote about the same account. Jesus had just appeared to followers on the road to Emmaus that Luke wrote about. And they have just returned back, telling of the good news. And we pick up in this passage. And so while... They were talking about seeing Jesus. He's there in front of them. He says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. They were startled. They were terrified. They thought he was a ghost. 
And he said to them, why are you frightened? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands, look at my feet. See, it is, I am, is that what he actually says. Does that sound familiar? I am. It's the words that God used to describe himself in the Old Testament. He said, what's your name? He said, I am. Who should I, who should I say sent you? I think Moses says. He asks God, and God says, I am who I am. And throughout the John's gospel particularly, Jesus uses that phrase to describe himself. He says, I am the bread of life. I am. And there was so much there that described Jesus as God. But in Luke's gospel, we read it. He says, I am myself. I'm here. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. What's the first thing we, we can learn from this? What does it mean to build a strong foundation? Well, it comes from Jesus' statement in the beginning. He says, peace be with you. To build a faith of strong foundations, it needs to be a faith built upon a gospel of peace, not a gospel of fear. It's the first thing I need you to hear this morning. Your faith needs to be built upon a gospel of peace, not a gospel of fear. What am I talking about? Well, have you ever heard a sermon that said, turn or burn? Have you ever heard the, the fire and brimstone sort of sermon in your life? It had a lot of traction in the 50s, 60s, and 70s as an expression of declaring the gospel, and it's not wrong in, in many senses. But what it does is when we hear something like that, what's the response in our hearts when someone says, if you don't believe in Jesus... You're going to hell, and there's nothing you can do about it unless you believe. What are you going to say? What are you going to say? You're going to say nothing? Gee, you're quiet this morning. What are you going to say? You're going to say, yeah, of course I'll believe in Jesus, because what's my alternative? Right? If, if someone says to you, well, if you hop in that car, you're going to have a car accident. What are you going to do? Not going to get in the car says mum to every teenager ever. Some of us just get in the car anyway, don't we? I won't go down that road. But what am I trying to tell you? When that is the gospel that we hear, which in a sense is fundamentally true, that without, without faith in Jesus Christ, then we, we're faced with a life of separation from God in whatever framework you want to put around that. That is the truth. We ultimately get what we desire. We get a life and an eternity separated from God. That's the truth of the gospel. But when that becomes the motivating factor, then we accept a gospel of fear, not a gospel of peace. We accept Jesus because we're afraid of the alternative rather than being drawn to the peace of the positive. Does that make sense? And one of the other things I suppose to think about is how do we understand peace in the world? What does peace look like in, in most expressions? We think of peace as the opposite of war, don't we? When we think of peace, we think of um, the cessation of hostilities. We think of World War II ending. We think of the pictures of, of the parades afterwards. But I've got to tell you, what else happens around a cessation of hostilities in the world? What you and I don't see are the troops sitting on the border. 
just in case it doesn't work out. That is the rhythm of the narrative of our world around peace. We have a peace in our world which is really different to the peace that Jesus offers. It's a peace that is anxious about what's going to happen if the other person, the other party, the other entity doesn't keep their side of the bargain. We've agreed to, to have, have peace. But then what happens when they break their word? What have we got left? Well, we've got an anxiety as to whether they will or whether they won't. But Jesus offers something different. He says in John 14, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. And get this. He says, I do not give it as the world gives it. So my peace is different. It's not just a cessation of hostility that could be broken any moment, just in case if someone changes their mind. No, no, the peace that I give is one that allows you to do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Why? Because the peace that God gives is a peace that surpasses understanding. It's a peace that is there whether we feel it or not, and it's a peace that God will never take away from us because God's Word is faithful to us. God cannot break a promise. God doesn't want to. And so, friends, this morning, the word that Jesus offers to his disciples in that moment is peace be with you. And I believe one of the things we need to hear about building a life, a firm foundation for our faith, is that our, our faith needs to be a faith that's built on a gospel of peace, a gospel about the good that God has done for you on your behalf, out of love, rather than a gospel of fear that leaves us anxious and afraid. But let's continue. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. This is Jesus, verse 40. And while in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. It's not my first preference, but hey, it served a purpose. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and he ate it in their presence. Why is that significant? Why is that significant? Because ghosts don't eat food. It's as simple as that. Whatever you believe about ghosts, ancient mythology, certainly in the Near East where they were at the time, there were a couple of key tests around ghosts for whatever reason. Just in case you encounter one, here's a few tests. You can't touch it and it can't eat food. Oh, and by the way, its feet don't touch the floor. Those were the three things as far as I'm aware. Can't touch it, its feet don't touch the floor and, you, and it won't eat food in your presence just in case you need to know. And so for the disciples, that's what happened. There he is. You see not only his hands, but you also see his feet. They're touching the floor. And he eats food in their presence. Why is this significant for us in, our, in growing our faith? Well, in building a foundation of faith, our faith is grounded not in a God that is far away, a God that is distant, a God that is on the other side of the universe that has no interest in who we are or what we're going through, we believe our faith is grounded in a person, a person that is God and humanity all in one, 
One, something we can't quite grasp, but it is true. And so our faith is grounded in the person that is Jesus the Christ. We don't believe in a theoretical ghostly Jesus. We believe in a real embodied, resurrected Jesus. And ultimately, faith is about trust, isn't it? When you have faith in someone, ultimately you're putting trust in them. And that's what faith for us and God is about. It's about if we have faith in God, we are trusting God, are we not? We trust in the God is who he says he is and does what he says he will do. That's how, and, and that's how relationships are built. They're built upon trust. It's all connected. Faith is connected to trust, which is connected to relationships. And so we hear sometimes that people, Christians talk about having a relationship with Jesus. If Jesus was a far off, God was a far off entity that was not interested in the, in the, and had no connection with humanity and the world, then how is it that we can have a relationship with Jesus? And that might be a concept you've wrestled with right up to today. And that's okay. But the reason we can say that we have a relationship with Jesus is because Jesus is a person. Jesus is a person that came and experienced life as we, as we live it and died just like we will, but was raised on the other side of death so that we can be in relationship with God. Now, we can't see or we can't taste, we can't touch Jesus the same way the disciples did. Can't do that. Because he's returned to the Father, just as he said he would. Now, what that means exactly, no idea. He's not here. That's all I can tell you in terms of the bodily, physical presence. But what I can tell you is that the Jesus that we read about here is very real. And it's a Jesus that you and I can have a relationship with. It's a Jesus that you can feel in your heart. It's a Jesus that you can sit next to and talk to. It's a Jesus that can bring you peace when the world is falling around you. When it's chaos outside, which it would have been for the disciples, right? They were, they were going to be hunted by the Jews. We know that they were already hunted by the Apostle Paul in some sense as they declared the truth. But Jesus was there with them, giving them peace. So that our faith isn't grounded in a mystical, far-off God. Our faith is grounded in the person of Jesus Christ, who came to earth, was deeply involved in humanity, gave his life for us, came close to us, and is now with the Father. So you and I can have a faith that is grounded not in a distant deity, but in the person of Jesus the passage continues, he says, These are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, so their Old Testament, as we understand it now, all of that must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to the Scriptures to understand them. And he says, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. You are witnesses. 
And see, I am sending you what, the, I, what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed from power on high. What's he talking about? He's talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit that we know that the disciples receive on Pentecost. We'll celebrate that in a few weeks. So what do we learn? What do we learn from this part of the passage? About having a faith with a firm foundation. We learn that faith is ultimately built upon the community of faith around us. Where is that in the text? Well, Jesus took time to explain how his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection was prophesied by generations long gone. That somehow their worship and their faithfulness to God and their prophecy became fulfilled in their midst. The, the, the disciples discover in this moment that their journey of faith is part of a richer and more wonderful narrative than they can see. And so I wonder if for you and I, is your faith just built on your narrative? Is it just built on your experiences of faith? Or is it built on the generations of experiences of faith, of the breadth of the narrative of the, of, of the God of love at work in the world? Because we have, in here, we have all of the prophecies, all of them, that Jesus explained to the disciples, hundreds of them, that all point to Jesus as the Messiah. But then we also have their eyewitness accounts in the Gospels of who Jesus was, what he achieved, and ultimately that he rose from the dead. We believe it as reliable because there were people around that were still alive when these were written. So we, we believe in the testimony of the narratives in this book, of the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, of his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. We believe in all of that. And if that's not enough for you, we've got... 2,000 years of people following Jesus in community that we can draw from as a, strengthen, as a strengthener for our faith. We've got 150 years of this building, 170 years of the church, or the Methodist church in this town being present. And if anyone here is from the UK, they go, oh, is that it? Because they got some churches that are much older than this. What does that tell us? That tells us that you and I are part of a narrative that is far richer, far broader, far more wonderful, and far more extraordinary than just our experiences of faith. And they are wonderful experiences, yours and mine. And they're things that can ground our belief. But if we want to build a firm foundation for our faith... We can lean on the narrative of faith that exists and has existed for thousands of years. That has existed in the lives of the people around you. Because everyone here has a story. Whether you like that story or not, you've got a story. And if you are sitting here, then that tells me that there's something about that story where God's 
where your faith has intersected with God's faithfulness, which has ultimately landed you where you are now. And so there's something in that story that someone here might need to strengthen their faith. And that's why community matters so much. That's why I believe in things like life groups, Bible study groups, fellowship groups, because our faith is not just about us and God, although it is certainly that. It is about us and God. And you never know the way your story of suffering, of hurt, of pain, of joy, of excitement, whatever it is your story is about, there, I believe there's something there that, we, that someone else can use to strengthen their faith, faith. And I would even suggest someone else needs to hear to strengthen their faith. And I would even go so far as to suggest that if we're not doing it, then our faith is weaker than it perhaps should be. As a church, if we are not taking this invitation of sharing this narrative with one another, our journeys of faith with one another, if we're not taking that seriously, then our faith as a church, our witness as a church, is weaker, if I use the word, is weaker than it could be. Is weaker than it should be. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? What do we do with all of this? Well, all of this is an invitation. It's an invitation to a strengthened faith. A faith that's built on foundations that are stronger than your or my personal experiences. It's an invitation to a faith that's grounded in peace, not fear and anxiety. If all you've ever thought about is a God of wrath instead of a God of love, then I invite you to take some time this morning, this week, to God to show you His love in the world rather than just his wrath on sin and death. Because we serve a God of love, a God that invites us to have peace, not as the world has it, but as he gives it. Our faith can be grounded in the person of Jesus, a real person, not a a God distant, but a God that was present and continues to be present in and through our daily life a person that we can have a relationship with. And our faith can be strengthened on the foundation of community, that it's not just our journey of faith, but it is the journey of faith that has gone throughout time and space that we enter into. It's part of what communion is about. It's why I believe that intergenerational ministry matters. It's why I love that you know my daughter's names, and I love that they feel comfortable looking at you, talking to you, spending time with you. In some sense, for some of you, that's five generations difference between my youngest daughter and some of those in here that have seen the most summers, if I could say it like that. Why does that matter? Because when they talk with you, they experience the connection. They experience the sense of community, the sense of faith that your, your journey represents that you're here 
they experience that, and that builds their faith. That gives them a sense of belonging. And I might even suggest that for you and I, who some of us have been doing this faith thing for a while now, when we talk to a child or a young person about their faith and their journey, I might even suggest that their faith has the power to strengthen ours too. So our faith needs a strong foundation. I invite you to explore that this week. Ask God to show you the ways you need to strengthen your, the foundation of your faith this week, that you might have a more rich and more wonderful experience, but also be a more powerful witness to the love of God in the world. Let's pray together. Loving and gracious God, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way that it speaks into our hearts and to our lives. You are a God of love. Show us your peace. Help us to receive the peace that you give, greater than any other peace. Show us the peace that our love, oh sorry, that our faith should be grounded upon. Loving God, help us to see who you for who you are, a person that we can be in relationship with. Lord, help us to take community seriously, take the narrative of faith seriously, because there are people around us with stories that will build us up if we have the courage to reach out and have a conversation with someone we do not know. Lord, help us to be a community like that, willing to step the, past the gap of unknown and share a sense of wonderful community that builds our faith. So, loving God, as I pray each time, would you give us the wisdom to know how to live this out this week and in the weeks to come? Most of all, would you give us the courage to take a step to build our faith this week? In your name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks once again for joining us. If this service has been a blessing to you, why not share it with someone you know? Or better yet, post it on your social feed because you never know how God might use what you share to bless someone you didn't even know needed it. Special thank you if you contribute towards making this ministry possible. We are so grateful. If you'd like to help, head to gawleyuniting.org.au and follow the links to begin giving. God bless you and we'll see you next time.